Well, this past week, my heart has been full and grieved, as I'm sure so many hearts have been, at the news of yet another work of evil and hatred, this time in El Paso, Texas, and in Dayton, Ohio. I found myself reading news stories one evening this past week about the stews of hatred and violence that both shooters had immersed themselves in. Different stews, both vile and hateful in their own ways. I could hardly sleep that night for feeling so disgusted, angry and mournful, really, at the poisons that are coursing through our American bloodstream. I laid awake thinking about how this is not how I grew up, not so long ago. The shooting at Columbine High School happened when I was in high school, and it felt back then like something new. Of course, it wasn't entirely new, but it did start a new era in our life together that has accelerated in the past several years. Everyone knows that. And I laid there and thought about how it feels like a new and terrible normal, and how my little boys, who today know nothing about any of this, may well grow up with murder and hatred as a constant drumbeat. This angers me quite a lot. No decent person can think about it for half a minute without it angering them too. This kind of thing should not be. It does not have to be. And yet it is. It is a grievous sin that cries out to heaven for justice and for judgment. And so you and I come to church this morning to hear some word from the Lord, something to gird our loins for righteous action, to give us hope, and to purify our anger at injustice from curdling into the very same hatred that's become the poison that threatens to infect us all. What word from the Lord, then, do we hear? We seldom depart from the lectionary for events in the news in this church. But this week, I felt like we needed a word from the Lord to speak to where we are. My choices of scripture today, they are my choices, are probably insufficient, but God's word never is. Brothers and sisters, I believe that we today need to hear God's word more than ever. There is too much in the air of narcissism, despair, hatred, racism, nihilism, and violence. Not everywhere. There are so many good people and families and churches and communities, but there's too much of what shouldn't be. And so we need to come and hear about the strength of love, the power of hope, the pathway to reconciliation, the eternal justice of the Almighty God, and not only to hear that word, but to receive it into our hearts in the sacrament of the altar. We need to lift up our hearts in thanks and praise, and say with our lips and know in our hearts that it is still right at all times and all places to give thanks unto God. You and I cannot do this alone. On our own, I think none of us are strong enough to withstand the demonic powers of darkness, 
that want to drag our hearts down like heavy chains and feed us a steady diet of despair and rage and, and tear us apart. So we need to come together as a church, as family, as a community, flesh and blood. We need the hundreds of small acts of love, service, giving, gratitude, and mercy that make up the life of this church. We need to remember that those are real, more real than anything else. We need to come and exchange the peace of Christ and have a cup of coffee, yay, even bad coffee, with people who don't look like us and don't think like us, but whom we've come to love as family, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, our one Savior and Lord. I want to say something today about three words from the Lord that I think I hear in the scriptures today. First, from the psalm. Remember that it is God who creates. God knit us together in our mother's wombs, the psalmist says. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The powers of evil, by comparison, create nothing. All they can do is tear down and destroy. And the power to destroy is nothing in the face of God's marvelous and wonderful power to create. The powers of evil try to frighten us into thinking that they're great and fearsome. But they are puny and ridiculous in the face of even the smallest of God's good creatures. Every child born is a wondrous miracle. Every peal of joyful and loving laughter is a thousand times stronger than every bullet in every gun since the foundation of the world. And hear this well. Evil can never, will never, destroy God's good creation. The Lord of hosts will not allow it, even if it should cost him his own son's life to redeem us from the grave. That is what our God has done on the cross. The God who creates is also the God who saves, redeems, who rises up from the grave and destroys death and evil forever and lifts up our downcast hearts with a strong and joyful sound of his voice. Whenever then you till your patch of earth with care, whatever it may be, at work, at home, when you raise up a child with food and wisdom and love, what you're doing is you're joining in God's good work of creation. When you serve in church or give your tithe, when you invite people to come and see that the Lord is good, what you're doing is you're joining in God's work of salvation. And all of these small, good, faithful things are stronger than hatred or despair or division. Therefore, we should be of courage and strong hope. We should keep on doing the small, good, faithful things that Christ calls us to do. Those are the things that will bear fruit forever. Second, 
I hear this again from the psalm, telling us to be angry, but do not sin. It's a hard balance to pull off. The psalmist obviously burns with anger. It was strange to read those words, wasn't it? Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. You that thirst for blood, depart from me. I hate them with a perfect hatred. Anger at injustice, I think this means, can be righteous and just. Anger can stir us from complacency and move us to act against great odds and fearful enemies. So if you find yourself angry this week and fed up at the culture of death and division that we seem powerless to stop in this country, and your anger then provokes you to go out and do something best for the long haul, then God is with you. Yet, the psalmist who with one breath claims to hate the wicked with a perfect hatred, with the next breath asks God to look well whether there be any wickedness in me. It's as if the psalmist knows that even though anger can be righteous and move us to act for good, when we get very angry, we are playing with fire, aren't we? Whenever we start to think that our enemies are God's enemies too and desire their destruction and think that we're even capable of hating with a perfect hatred, that's when the psalmist reminds us that we had better check ourselves and ask God to search our hearts and look well whether we've started to become a mirror image of that which we hate. The news stories I read told me that the El Paso shooter was a racist white supremacist who wanted to fight a war against Hispanic immigrants. The Dayton, Ohio shooter was on the other side of the political spectrum and cheered on the so-called Antifa movement that wants to fight a war against racist white supremacists. This, I believe, is the poison. Yes, we can and should be angry at injustice, but we must never let ourselves tip over into hatred. We must not become a mirror image of that which we hate. So whoever you think your enemies are, hear the word of our Lord today, who commands us to love our enemies. Third, and this is from the prophet Isaiah. In the face of what can only be called the resurgent of, of white nationalism, we need to know something, I think, about a biblical theology of the nations. In Holy Scripture, the nations, the peoples, are part of God's good creation, and they each have gifts to bring to the city of Zion, to the people of God. Lebanon, we heard, had its cedars. Sheba, that's Ethiopia, has its camels. Kedar has its flocks. Nebaioth has its rams. Isaiah imagines the nations spread throughout the world with unique gifts to bring to the temple. For instance, Texas has its barbecue. All good ways to give glory to God. They shall be acceptable on my altar, God says, and with them I will glorify my glorious house. Notice, I think, three things about this picture. First, all of the nations 
have different gifts, and they're all there to glorify God. It's good that in God's world there are many peoples and cultures. Navajo, French, Mexican, Zulu, Korean, all the rest. A world where everyone ate Wonder Bread and listened to the same music would be a boring world. And there's no thought here that some of these gifts are somehow superior to the others. That's not the point of having nations. It's not a competition to see who's greatest. It's more like a great banquet, where everyone brings their best food, and everyone dresses in their finest, not to show each other up, but simply to celebrate and give glory to God. So when people love America, or Texas, wherever you might be from, that's fine. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as we don't forget that other people love other countries and places, Honduras and China, and that those are good too, and that we all deserve to flourish, no one at the expense of anyone else. Second, when God looks out at the world, what he sees is not just a mass of individuals. Instead, it seems like he sees nations, that is, communities, with cultures and traditions, and people as part of communities. Part of the pathos problem of the present moment, I think, is that too many of us experience ourselves as nothing but individuals who have to create a sense of community and purpose and identity from scratch, and we don't know where to start. So then we look inward, and we try to find something, some feature of ourselves that can't be doubted, to give us an identity and a community that tells us how to think and why to live. I might say, I'm a white man, therefore I think X and I do Y, and my enemies are those people over there. All I have to do is look inside, and the problem of who I am, what I think, and what I'm supposed to do with my life is solved, whether I'm white, black, brown, male, female, American, Canadian, or whatever else you can imagine. But the sense of community and identity that we find this way is, I think, at best, much smaller than who God made us to be, and excludes countless people whom God made to be in community with us. Different nations, different communities are good, but what we need is a community and an identity that's bigger and more inclusive than any of these signifiers can ever be where all of us can bring our gifts to God's house and glorify the Lord. I happen to be, so you know, a Norwegian-American man from the upper Midwest. I like that about myself. I cheer on the Vikings. I eat strange Norwegian food. It's part of who I am, and I value that. But I also don't think it's the most important thing about me. What matters more is that I am a Christian. I was called down here to serve all y'all in Texas. I now know what Southern hospitality, good barbecue, and real Tex-Mex food are. And I have friends and church family who are far more diverse than anyone I would have met growing up. It's part of the nations, the diversity of the body of Christ. We find that we are all one in Christ. And that compared to that, all of our different identities, good as they may be, male and female, Jew and Greek, 
don't make a bit of difference. That brings me to my last point. In Isaiah's vision, all of the nations are coming together to the city of God, to Zion. They all have their distinctive gifts to bring, and their gifts are made for sharing. There's a way that I hear sometimes that people have of valuing diversity while at the same time saying, as long as they stay in their country or their part of town and I stay in mine. I think that kind of thinking supported segregation yesterday and domestic terrorism today. But in Isaiah's vision, the nations are meant ultimately to come together to worship God, to stream to Mount Zion and gather together as one body. If that's true, then I think we should both, on the one hand, value the cultures and traditions that make us distinctive, yes, and also be eager to give and receive gifts from all of the others. It's a good thing, I think, to pass on to your children a sense of where their people come from, to work to to preserve whatever foods or music or stories or art make your culture interesting and add spice to the banquet table of the world. That's good. It's also a good thing to learn about other cultures and to worship alongside people of many backgrounds and not to worry if what comes of it all isn't quite Tex or Mex but Tex-Mex, and not just Italian or Asian or African-American, but all of those at once. There's a poet who said, it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Our Lord said, let your light so shine before men that they may see it and give glory to your Father in heaven. St. John said that this light is Christ, that the light shines in the darkness, and that the darkness will not overcome it. You and I at St. Augustine's can by God's grace be such a light, a community where many nations and peoples come to give glory to God, where we find our deepest identity in Christ, our truest community in Christ's body, where we burn with anger at injustice, but also love our enemies, where we find a hope and a joy deeper than any despair or loneliness and more powerful than any gun. In the gospel of the almighty God who created a good world and redeemed us in Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who reigns even now from the cross and will reign forever in the kingdom come on earth one day, just as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Eternal God, in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength known but the strength of love, so mightily spread abroad your spirit that all peoples may be gathered under the banner of the Prince of Peace, as children of one Father, to whom be dominion and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen.